This episode of the Oz Movie Geek podcast is sponsored by Kix. Kix is an online film and television retailer specializing in the latest Sony, Universal, and Paramount films and television shows. You can use the exclusive code OZGEEK15 to receive 15% off your order. Thank you to the wonderful team at Kix. Now to the review. Hello and welcome to the latest episode in the Oz Movie Geek podcast. I'm your host, Pado. Today I'll be talking about Moonfall and the death of the disaster genre. Um, it has been something I wanted to talk about for a while, but with the release of Moonfall on Blu-ray, I thought, what a time to actually talk about this film and you know what what's happened to the disaster genre because it felt like in the, the early to mid-2000s, even the late 2000s, we saw a string of disaster films, um, you know, films focusing around the destruction of humanity, um, and most of them coming from one director, and that director is Roland Eimerich, who, of course, directed Moonfall this year as well, um, which has the record for being the most expensive independent film ever financed, um, with a whopping budget of north of $150 million, not including marketing costs, which is huge. Uh, Lionsgate uh, distributed this one, but um, the film itself was independently financed by about four or five different production companies. And if you watch the film, you see all those production companies come up on screen uh, with co-financing also coming from China, uh, which was interesting because the film didn't perform overly well there. And I don't know if that's due to, um, I don't know, it, it is a very um, Americanized film, but there are references to co financing of the actual space mission coming from China, which I don't know if that was just a nod or if it's like saying thank you for helping fund this movie. Um, not entirely sure, but uh, I thought that was interesting. Um, and I wanted to talk about this film briefly whilst also discussing the death of the genre, I guess, simultaneously. So um, I think that's enough of an introduction. So without further ado, let's get stuck into this one. Take it away, trailer. July 20th, 1969. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. In school, you were taught that Apollo 11 lost contact with the world for two minutes. Not true. They found something on that day. That they kept hidden for 50 years. And now, it's too late to stop. Breaking news, the governor has just ordered the mass evacuation of the entire West Coast. Moving to higher ground is the only possible chance of surviving. Stay away, my brothers and sisters! Stay away! This planet has suffered five extinctions. 
this is going to be the sixth. Are we dead? No, we are just inside the moon. That might be the greatest sentence anyone's ever said. So Moonfall was directed by Roland Eimerick, also written by Eimerick along with Harold Closer and Spencer Cohen. Uh, the film stars Halle Berry, Patrick Wilson, John Bradley, Charlie Plummer, Michael Pena, uh, Wenwen Yu, uh, Carolina Barzak, and Donald Sutherland, and follows a, um, I guess, a, a crew as they tackle a mysterious force that knocks the moon from its orbit around Earth and sends it hurling on a collision course with life as we know it. Um, so yeah, this film um, was a train wreck. Uh, it's terrible. Um, and in terms of standards of where a Roland Eimerich film would normally fall for me, it's it's a bit subpar. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of his. I think that some of his films are fun um, and they're definitely cheesy. Um, but him and Dean Devlin uh, in the 90s and 2000s uh, sort of created an empire as such. They really went hard in terms of uh, creating these disaster film epics uh, that... Yeah, it did relatively well at the box office. I was surprised to see how much some of them made. Uh, we had Godzilla and um, Independence Day in the 90s, so in 96 and 98, respectively, those films were released. And then we had uh, The Day After Tomorrow. Um, we had 2012. We had um, The Patriot, which wasn't a disaster film. Um, but 10,000 BC, which had disasterish elements. Um, and then he did White House Down, Independence Day Resurgence, um, most recently Midway, which I didn't actually hate, uh, and Moonfall. And I think it's interesting to see, you know, the progression of his filmography because when he first started out, special effects, especially the um, digital effects that we see in films, um, you know, that they were new, um, it hadn't really been done. It was still, you know, a, a bit of a model of practical over over digital, uh, using digital to enhance things. So, you know, some of his films from the 90s used miniatures, which was really cool. Like if you go back and watch Independence Day, you know, the blowing up of the White House was digitally enhanced but still had those miniatures, which I always admire because I think they're, they're cool and they look cool. And... Moving forward uh, with The Day After Tomorrow in 2004, which I actually watched in preparation for this review as well, um, I thought that, you know, the the genre itself was very reliant on him as a filmmaker. Um, we have a very unique situation here where a lot of his films are... I, I want to say that they're geared specifically towards like a popcorn crowd. They're meant to be seen on the big screen. And I think that, you know, since we've seen some of those films, um, a lot of franchise titles, and I'll constantly go back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe because I guess they're the most successful at it. We've seen this level of destruction now, you know, every summer um, or winter here in Australia since, you know, 2010, 
we've seen these films. They're not a, a marquee tentpole film anymore because we, we see this level of visual effects, and I guess that's the main draw card. We, we are used to it now, and we're so desensitised to how these films look because every film looks like this now that when we see these big-budget um, flicks, you know, it, it's it's a little different and that niche that he once had over Hollywood is definitely gone and it's dwindled over the years. I mean, White House Down came, you know, it was a second fiddle to Olympus Has Fallen and in terms of production value, White House Down offers a lot more than what Olympus Has Fallen did and both films came out around the same time. You know, there's a bit of a Hollywood rumour that um, I think it was Open Road Films that released uh, Olympus Has Fallen and... and um, I guess, I think it was Lionsgate, the two of them anyway, um, that that studio uh, caught wind that there was a, you know, a presidential assassination uh, diehards knockoff on its way. And um, yeah, they got Gerard Butler and Morgan Freeman on board and away they went. And Antoine Fuqua directed Olympus Has Fallen and um, Imrich tackled White House down. And one, I guess, constant with Imrich's films is that when they're... um, I don't know, when they're constructed, uh, each film has an abundance of subplots and that's been, a, I guess, a genre trope of his and something that he u- utilises and something him and Michael Bay both used to. Um, and that, that it's it's just frustrating. And you watch Moonfall now, you know, in 2022 and you're just like, ah, this is so tired. Like we've seen Imrik make these types of films so many times before and he's not offering anything new. If anything, Moonfall's the worst out of any of his films for the sheer fact that it just feels so so overused and overdone. Um, Independence Re- uh, Day Resurgence was a terrible movie, but one thing that it had going for it over what um, something like Moonfall does is that it has this built-in sense of a franchise with characters we know and understand and a bit of a legacy as well. And whether or not you like the way that that's handled, I thought that it's a much better film than what I saw with this. Um, this film... Is so dumb. Um, the title itself is very stupid, um, being called Moonfall. Um, the plot itself revolving around the idea of a mega structure where it's like, a, a you know, aliens have made something um, to orbit Earth in, in the moon. It's just really stupid. Uh, I would have been fine if the moon was just crashing down to Earth because it doesn't really need a reason. Um, a lot of his films, especially... 2012 to a certain extent, but more so the day after tomorrow. Uh, the film, you know, center, centering around climate change and the public fear of what climate change can mean to, you know, our Earth. So that's where the draw is there. But his films are so bogged down with the subplots and over explanation of what's going on, where, you know, the audience doesn't need to really know. You just say, oh, big storm coming. Uh, let, let's let's get underground and and let's let's win this thing kind of thing and. You know, a half-hearted, um, you know, speech by an American president. That that's sort of what his films are built around. And watching Moonfall, I just thought this is the weakest version of any of that. We have some special effects that don't look up to up to par with some of his other films, especially even watching The Day After Tomorrow relatively sh- shortly after watching Moonfall. Um, a film that I don't like, and I, I'm, I'm using it as an example because The Day After Tomorrow is probably, out of his disaster films, probably the best. Um, I enjoy 2012 a little more than what 
the day after tomorrow offers. But in terms of, you know, box office success, oh, 2012 was more successful, but in terms of the height of when these films were being released, I guess it's the one that everyone remembers. It's the one people still talk about. No one really talks about 2012 anymore. But it's just really interesting to go back and, and watch The Day After Tomorrow in, in you know close proximity of finishing uh, Moonfall because it's just interesting to see how the special effects from 2004 have changed and maybe not have changed for the better because Moonfall doesn't look inherently terrible compared to some releases. I, I would say it looks better than... Marvel's most recent output and I know Marvel fanboys are probably wanting my head for saying that but if I had to compare the special effects in that and battle sequence in um, Black Widow compared to what happened in Moonfall, Moonfall is visually more interesting to me than what I'm seeing in the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe at the moment but in terms of laziness or even just not allowing the special effects artists enough time to render the effects appropriately some of the effects just look underdone. We've got sequences at the end of the film where Michael Pena and Charlie Plummer, um, are, you know, are mucking around in the snow and there's, um, you know, the, the I think they call them, gra- I can't remember, it's like gravity storms or something. They give them a stupid name. And the, the snow's all, you know, flying up into the air and shit's going everywhere, you know, buildings are getting destroyed. And it looks really really bad like that the characters are obviously superimposed on um, around the visual effects but the way it's handled is just so poor and it looks really terrible and I just found it to be really really funny to watch you know these characters run around on this green screen set it felt very much like the prequels uh, the Star Wars prequels in terms of that because all the visual effects don't look up to par like I mentioned but these characters that are obviously interacting with nothing and it does play like that. Like it just looks really dumb. Uh, and in terms of, I guess the genre cliches that I'm Rick plays with, I mean, we, you know, constants of his are like um, having a quirky character. We've got the homeless guy in, um, uh, in the day after tomorrow, 2012, we've got Woody Harrelson uh, here in Moonfall. We've got John Bradley um, he's like a quirky scientist that the you know no one believes. Um, but Patrick Wilson believes in him because Patrick Wilson knows what it's like to have the whole world not listen to him. Uh, and we have you know children of divorce. Uh, Charlie Plummer is uh, Patrick Wilson's estranged son. Uh, Michael Pena is the ex-husband uh, or the new husband. Uh, he doesn't like Patrick Wilson. They have a bit of a conflict. Go back to literally all of. Um, all of the movies, like we've got White House Down. Um, Joey King is partnered with Channing Tatum because, uh, you know, he has he has Joey King for the weekend um, and he's got to work on the weekend because he's got to make a living uh, and the wife, the ex-wife doesn't like him. We've got that. We've got 2012 with Tom McCarthy's character, the great director Tom McCarthy who appeared in a lot of trashy movies as an actor. Um, is now married to Amanda Pete. John Cusack is like a down-on-his-luck limo driver. Um, and, uh, yeah, they all hate each other. Then we go back to the day after tomorrow. I could never tell if Dennis Quaid's character is actually divorced because he says uh, when he sees they're obviously not together at the time and they're on the phone and say, oh, have you seen what's happened to happened to um, Jake Gyllenhaal? You know, he, he he's off doing a decathlon and he's stuck in New York. It's like, what's going on here? And then he says, Dennis Quaid says he loves us. I'm not entirely sure if they're together or not. But 
Children of Divorce is a mainstay in the the Roland Emmerich um, arsenal of genre cliches, and it's a interesting one because I think it. I don't know. I I think it's so unnecessary to have all these subplots subplots in a movie, and him and Michael Bay think that it's it's okay, and it really isn't because it just drags everything the fuck down. It is so annoying, but I just find with Moonfall. Like, if the film had been a little more visually interesting, then I would have been a little, you know, keener uh, to watch it because I, I'm I'm a sucker for these types of movies. I, I, I watched, I even watched Geostorm, which is probably even worse than these, and that was directed by Dean Devlin, who is Imerick's producer through all of the majority of these films. Um, and Geostorm was terrible. But I just enjoy watching these disaster porn type films because there's so much going on in them. Um, visually, and it's always cool to see, you know, landmarks that you know get destroyed. I, I even remember watching Pacific Rim 2 um, in cinemas, and I don't like that movie either, but I remember watching that, and, you know, when you see uh, the opera house getting destroyed and they're the, the having a fight down Main Street of Sydney, it's like, that's really cool because I know where that is, and it's cool to see that on screen. And I remember with, like, The Day After Tomorrow, even 2012, they had, like, country-specific posters um, which obviously was like meant to draw the audiences in and they were mildly misleading because you'd never saw, um, you know, that part in the film. I remember in 2012, I think the poster was the opera house on fire or something and the Harbour Bridge had collapsed in the background and those sequences are solely there just to, so when people are walking, well, not sequences because they're not in the film, these, these marketing pieces are solely there so you look at them and go, oh, I know that place. Let's go and watch it. And people like me who feel justified by spending money to go and see that on screen are like, hey, let's go and see that. Um, but it, it's just really interesting to see, you know, how that has dramatically shifted. There was none of that with Moonfall. I, I That trailer for Moonfall that um, played at the start of this uh, podcast, I remember seeing that, you know, maybe 12 months ago. It came out a while ago. I remember seeing that and just thinking, oh, is that a straight-to-DVD film or straight-to-streaming or is it going to cinemas? I remember just being confused um, if we were actually going to get it. And then it came out here in Australia and I was like, you know what? I'm just not supporting it. I'm done. I'm not going to support it. Um, I was lucky enough to be sent a copy of it on Blu-ray. Um, and, yeah, lucky. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, but at least I didn't have to pay for it. But... I'm paid for it in terms of wasting my time, um, but I'm I'm here wasting more time talking about it, which is interesting, and I guess it's a paradox, and it's just going to keep going. But hey, that's where we are. Uh, but yeah, the the death of the genre. So let's talk about box office return. So uh, the day after tomorrow made roughly five hundred and fifty million dollars worldwide, a fair amount of cash, um, with like less than one hundred and fifty million dollar budget. Um, that film, I guess, now in retrospect, uh, Dennis Quaid wasn't the biggest star of, 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 at the time. Um, Dennis Quaid actually never really had any box office hits. I think prior to that, he'd done Cold Creek Manor um, in 2004, which I watched again recently, and it's terrible. Uh, Dennis Quaid's not a good actor. Um, yeah, sorry, Dennis Quaid, you just... Not not your craft. Uh, you're, you're fine in these big budget films, but that's probably all you've got going for you in terms of that uh, then we had, uh, 2012, uh, 10,000 BC was a moderate success. I think the film cost like 110 million. So it was a bit cheaper than the others. 
Um, and I know it made like 80 mil in the States and I think worldwide it crossed over 200 million. So at least it made a bit of money, maybe even 300 million. Uh, 2012 was the most successful out of these films. It grossed like 168 million in the US and I think it was like 780 million uh, worldwide off a $200 million budget. Um, to take away marketing costs, that's a you know a nice little um, $350 million uh, paycheck for for Sony, a um, bit of a profit for them, which they would have enjoyed. Um, and then we have like White House Down, which I mentioned struggled because Olympus has fallen, released before it, and it didn't make much money. Uh, Independence Day was a big old bomb, uh, making you know over $200 million, but off like a $200 million budget. So it was a definite flop. Uh, Midway suffered uh, cinematically, I think, making like $79 million and it didn't do well internationally. Uh, then we have uh, Moonfall, which just bombed incredibly hard for its hefty budget. Um, and I think so far it's pulled in like just under $30 million off like $150 million budget. So it's a big old dud for Lionsgate. But whether or not it picks up any any steam on you know the straight-to-DVD um, crowd, you know, people mistaking it for an asylum movie, I'm not sure. I, I just don't see the appeal uh, even if you watch the trailer for Moonfall, you're like, what is this? Is this a Transformers sequel? Like, what is going on? There's, like, AI, um, you know, nanobots flying around killing people. It's like, what the fuck is going on? Make this a lot simpler than what it is. It doesn't need to be this over-the-top and this this dumb. It just uh, it, it just baffles me. I, I just don't get it. And I think of in terms of where we are, and I don't know... Like I said, I, I think... The reason that these films flop now is because every movie has this level of spectacle. So Moonfall is nothing special. Um, maybe 10 years ago this film would have made $200 million. I'm not sure. But where we're at now, there's just no market for this type of film anymore. Um, and it's interesting because I think it represents a larger picture here too that we're potentially seeing the death of just an original film. Um, whether or not it's quality or not, if we're talking about something that was you know, like Edge of Tomorrow, um, which wasn't a franchise film, whilst it was adapted from source material, um, it didn't do relatively well at the box office either. And in terms of, you know, moving forward and where we're seeing some of these these films land um, in, in the worldwide grosses, there's just no market for it. And it's a bit of a shame because I do enjoy watching these films, like I said, like... Uh, Geostorm. I'm going to go back to Geostorm. When I saw that in cinemas, I saw it with my brother. We had an okay time at the cinemas, just laughing ourselves silly because the movie just was so, so dumb. Gerard Butler's like, you know, in space with everyone else and they're, they're trying to stop this Geostorm from creating, you know, destructive events around the world. So dumb, very dumb. But it was entertaining and what this film is lacking is that charisma i love patrick wilson i really do I don't, i'm not a big halle berry fan but i really like patrick wilson and the pairing of him and john bradley was actually the most entertaining part of the movie for me the two of them had all right chemistry i really liked them together um and i like you know that patrick wilson is the leading man here i thought that was fun uh but you know it's weighed down with just the subplots like charlie Plummer and that whole subplot is just completely redundant and you know, seeing Michael Pena wasted in these movies, like, this is a couple in a row now with Adam Fantasy Island. Michael Pena's on, like, a real downward spiral. 
Um, he needs Ant-Man 3 to come out because he just needs that boost. He's he's a quality actor and he's quite funny and charming to give him something to work with because it's just not working here. He's just not funny in this film and that's what he needs to be. He needs to be funny. The clunky dialogue as well just weighs every scene down. There was this really interesting ex- uh, exchange between him and Charlie Plummer's character when they're in the... They're, they're looking for um, oxygen tanks in a hospital and he goes, hey, I know you don't like me. Um, you don't have to like me, but I, I love you and I, I want I want to be there as your father. And then Charlie Plummer's like, I don't hate you. And then he's like, I'll take it. And they like look at each other and this like sentimental music's playing in the background. I was like, what the fuck just happened? What is that? That's not that's not sentiment. That that is just so dumb. Um, and there's dialogue like that throughout the entire film, which is hilarious. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think where we're at at the moment, we're not going to see a film like that ever again. Um, so rip to Roland Emmerich and the, the big budget disaster film genre. I think it's well and truly done unless things were to change. Marvel were to slow down or a Marvel film flops. I think that that will be interesting. If one Marvel film flops, we just want to see one flop, how things will change from that. Because I feel that if something flops, Marvel might rejig their formula and we could see a shift in Hollywood. Maybe people then don't go and see the next Marvel movie or, yeah, I I don't know. I just want to see what happens there because I wouldn't mind if we had, you know, bought back the the mid-range budget film when it seems the mid-range has grown a lot since then and the mid-range we're looking at between like 80 and 120 million, but... I would like to see something, you know, in that budgetary range um, and play with it a little. We saw actually last year um, the film Greenland, which is getting a sequel, which is pretty cool, um, with Gerard Butler, and it was released by, again, by Open uh, Open Road Films, I think it was. And it was released during the pandemic, but it made a decent amount of money, especially internationally, and I think it did really well on, um, on like, VOD and we're getting a sequel to it. Uh, it's a disaster film that doesn't rely on special effects. It's solely focused on the character drama, but it's not like Roland Emmerich character drama. We've got like a relatively realistic setting, um, and we're focusing on that. And I, I thought that was really interesting, and I'm keen to see a sequel to that because I quite enjoy Greenland. And if you remember, I did a review of it last year, and I was like, this is actually a solid disaster flick. And as a fan of, you know, what that genre used to be, I was I was intrigued. And that shows that, you know, if you, you do spend a little less on these films. I think Greenland might have cost like 50 to 60 million, um, which seems like a lot of money. But in terms of that compared to Moonfall, it's nothing. And that way, you know, you're, you're lowering the risk of the film flopping um, and you're giving people glimpses of what the action could look like but you're focusing more so on stronger characters and grounded performances that were more involved with that side of the story than following you know, these big, dumb uh, blockbuster sequences that just uh, are tiring. Like I, I honestly fell asleep for a solid like 10, 10 minutes there in, in Moonfall and I had to wake up and rewind because like, oh, what have I missed? I've probably missed something stupid, but all the action just blends into one and it's just so tiring to watch. And Greenland was just refreshing in that sense. So, I mean, Greenland's the exception here where you can focus solely on, you know, some interesting character stuff, 
whilst also, you know, showcasing a little a little action here and there um, and, and not focusing on the, the weighty bloody, you know, subplots that are going on in these types of films. Like, it, it's just crazy. Um, but, yeah, but rip to Roland Emmerich's uh, disaster genre. It's it's dead. It's buried. It's gone. Um, but maybe there's hope for a, a mid-range comeback of this genre. Uh, it would be really interesting to see if they do anything um, differently if Roland Eimerick moves into a different style of film. He did Midway, which was a World War II um, flick. And I, like I said, I didn't actually hate Midway. Midway had some pretty bad special effects, but in terms of the story it was telling, I was actually really interested and I wasn't expecting to enjoy it as what, as much as I did. And in terms of the conflict of you know the Battle of Midway and Pearl Harbor, it's much better than, um, than Pearl Harbor directed by Michael Bay. So... Uh, would recommend you check out Midway. Um, go and revisit The Day After Tomorrow in 2012. They're much better than Moonfall, but they're also not very good. So, yeah, go, go and check those out. But thanks, guys, for listening. This is a different type of podcast. Uh, like I said, pairing a topic with a movie I find to be a little fun. Um, maybe didn't go into as much detail as what someone else might have, but I'm just sort of, you know, floating with the idea at the moment. So let me know if you like this format and if you like um me to talk about more of these films and these um these topics i'd love to hear it uh you can follow me on facebook instagram and twitter um you can also um check out down below um you know some of the content that i put on those social media so i've left links down below uh you can contact me at ozmoviegeek at gmail.com that's ozmoviegeek at gmail.com or shoot me a message on twitter instagram or facebook i'll reply to you when i reply to you um but thank you again guys for listening and until next time peace out